Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pilot's Wife podcast, episode 25, I'm stoked. This is awesome. I just, um, I wish I could get, I wish I could hear more from you guys about what you think of this and what else you want to hear about. Oh man, if there was some way you could drop me a line or give me some feedback, I'd really appreciate it. Today, I'm going to talk about problem solving and I'm going to give you the strategies and the tactics to do some problem solving in relationships. You may have noticed I talk about problem solving a lot. I think, you know, why not teach people to fish rather than if they're having problems, go and see someone who tries to help them through a problem. Like if couples knew how to get through every single problem themselves, wouldn't that be a better thing? So that's what problem solving does. So that's what we're going to do today. And I'm going to separate it into two parts. So the first part, this time this episode will be about all the stuff you need to know before you start or before you engage in a problem solving exercise and then the next one will be about actually doing it. So here's the question for those of us who don't have a picture perfect relationship who don't put our highlights real on social media and pretend it's all rosy where can I get some down-to-earth inspiration without any religious barriers who can give me real-life encouragement help me be a better spouse and tell me how to get an even more enriching relationship without becoming a doormat. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Amy McLaren, and this is the Pilot's Wife Podcast. Okay, so today we're finally going to dig into, after 24 episodes, we're finally going to dig into problem solving 101, how to do it. And the way to start is, uh, this is going to be, there's a lot of information to cover, so I'm just going to give an overview, and I'll just give you an overview of about four things that it's really, really important to know and to get used to thinking in that in that way before you start in, in a problem-solving exercise, because I think, you know, the, the reason that a lot of couples are unsuccessful at solving a problem is because they jump in with these these things and these these preconceived ideas and 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 not a lot of setup. You do have to do a bit of setup because problem solving is can be emotional or the problems that are being caused are emotional because that's a relationship. There are two people that are hurting each other. That's why there's a problem and it can be very emotional. And so there's a lot of work you got to do before you ga- engage to try and like reduce some of that emotion because the emotion gets in the way and it doesn't help you solve the problem. So there are a number of things to understand about why a problem happens in the first place. So you've got to understand, the first thing is, if you are having an argument again and again and again about the same thing, it's an alert that there's a problem that needs to be solved. doesn't mean you don't love them anymore. It doesn't mean that you need to get a divorce. It means there's a problem that you need to solve. And once you can solve that problem and move past it, your relationship will be more intimate and more close. So every time that you have to do this, you know, and it's a have to do this, you you ideally wouldn't want to have to do this, but it does have a benefit. Every time you get through something like this, it brings you closer together. So the first the, the first thing to understand is where the problems come from. And the, the one of the key things is, is expectations of, of things that you expected to happen when you were going to be married. And, and that can be things like how you were going to be loved. And so if you've heard of the five love languages, there's a... Um, you can go to a website fivelovelanguages.com and do a do a test, and th- it's things like that. So there are there are there are ways that you were expecting somebody to show their love to you, and there are ways that you definitely are um, most well versed in in, sh- in showing your love to someone else that might not be the way that they recognise love. 
And there are other expectations like roles, like especially if you've lived together before you're married, things like who did the vacuuming and who took the rubbish out. You sort of get into these patterns without really discussing it. And then once you're married, it's like, oh, well, you already do that job, so why don't you just keep on doing it? And it's like, well, I never really wanted to do that in the first place. I just sort of took it on. But now if we're talking for the next 50 years, you know, maybe we can do this a different way. And so that's a lot a lot of that stuff goes unsaid. And it can be things like uh, how you grew up, you know, in, in the family that you grew up with and how they argue together, you know, the, your mum and dad or your grandma or whoever that you, you grew up with, even, even your best friend's parents, what you saw about how they had relationships, those all feed into our, our expectations. And ones that we don't know are there or that they're subconscious. And these expectations, even though we don't know they're there, we get upset when they're not met. And that can be a problem. So that's that's one to identify. Another one is our, our vision for our marriage. So that's things like, you know, how we thought our marriage would be and how, and it kind of ties into expectations a little bit, but it's also about, you know, the culture of things you did in your family, like uh, like one, one of you would have had a culture of sitting at the dinner table to eat dinner and the other one of you might have a culture of sitting on the couch to have dinner. So how are you going to resolve those those cultures when you don't talk about them? So you've got to, you, know, you might have problems about that if they've never come out to the fore, if no one's ever said, if you haven't talked about that before. Even, in, and vision is also about, you know, why are you getting married in the first place and how do you see, how do you see your marriage being in, in your world, what does it look like? And you could both have different ideas about what it looks like for you. One for you, one of you, it could be status, you know, amongst your friends. And for the other, it could be status at, you know, at your workplace. Or it could be, you know, wanting to be each other's cheerleaders and live the rest of your lives together. And hopefully, you know, that's that's the, that's more common. But it's good to understand what that is in both of you. And if you haven't talked about that, then that could be something that underlies problems. Values is a big one. And we have a values exercise on our website that you can do for free. Uh, I think I think it's not on the menu anymore, but if you go to No Myth Marriages, that's N-O-M-Y-T-H marriages.com, and then forward slash resources, there is a values exercise and you can do it. And so what this does is it tries to find out what is really, really important to you that you don't know is really important to you. And, you know, if we haven't ever asked ourselves these questions, we, would, we wouldn't even know. And what it does is it tries to get you to identify your top five, because there's this rule, the Pareto Principle, which says that if you spend 80% of your time on the top 20% of your values, you'll have 80% of your satisfaction in life. So that's what we want to do, is concentrate on the top five, because that's where we get the absolute bulk of our, I guess, our, our enjoyment in life. And if we don't know what our values are, there's no way our partner is going to know what they are. And so what can happen is our partner breaches those values and then we have problems in our relationship and we can't work out what it is because we don't even know what those values are ourselves. And then another one that can get in the way is our risk profile. So one of the couple might come into the relationship with a very low risk profile and another with a very high risk profile. And that could be in areas of finances, it could be in areas of uh, like hobbies and what you do with your time and what you do with your body, you know, and it, it you know, and it could cause tension. And you, if you don't understand, it's just oh, it's just that that person's more willing to take risk than I am, or that person's less willing to take risk than I am. That can be, you know, and if you just understand that, that can be quite a quite a, a, a pr 
um, you can make quite a bit of progress towards resolving a problem when you understand those things about each other. Another one is personality traits, so that's similar. So uh, if you have very opposite personality traits, we always tell couples if you have opposite traits, then you have, I guess, more potential for richness of relationship because you each bring different things to the table so that you can kind of teach each other different things and about how to enjoy life. However, it is harder because you are opposites in a lot of ways and you have to get to know how to work with each other's different personality traits. If you have similar personality traits, then you have an advantage in the sense that you've got less work to do because it's easier <laughs> because you both have the same ones. But on the other hand, then you, I guess your your options are less broad in terms of where you're going to go and what you're going to you're going to teach each other when you've both got the same one. So there's benefits to both, um, and there's I guess there's strength and growth areas to both. And then finally, goals. So that's quite an important one because if you kind of if you kind of have an idea of your goals in your head, but you never write them down and, and certainly never share them with your spouse, then then, and then they come up with an idea that they want to do and it kind of means that your goal can't be met anymore or, or it has to get put off. Those kinds of things can also cause tension in relationships that you don't necessarily, you know, can you can't really talk about on a, on a level because you're not really certain that that's where it comes from. And so problem, problem solving, the, the, the exercise kind of teaches you how to figure out which ones of these underlying things are at the root of the problem. So those are the main ones. So then the second thing to understand when it comes to going into a problem-solving exercise with each other is that we really have to work on our objectivity. And as I said in the introduction, problem-solving can be quite emotional because you're, you're talking about stuff that hurts or that has hurt you. And it's really, really important if you understand that there's a reason for the problem happening that is not not that they want to hurt you, then, then, then it can really help you to be objective and then just to address the problem itself. And so one thing to really, really, really understand is, is the nature of perception. Now, it's actually, it's actually kind of crazy, but there are things in our world that we are 100% certain that we've seen or heard that actually didn't happen. And this is, this is perception at work. So our brain translates messages for us and tells us certain things, whether or not they are there. And, you know, I have proof of this. We do this exercise sometimes where we show couples a, it's like a, a triangle and it's got words in it and we get them to read it out. And there's an extra word in there that couples never, ever see. They never read it out. And it's because it's a repeated word, it says the, the twice. And what we find is, um, I've, I've never come across anyone who's ever seen that second the because our brain just filters it out because the brain knows that you don't get two thes in a sentence together. And so that's just a little example of the you know of proof that our brain doesn't see things or it does see things that aren't there. And, and it's the same in problems like in, in our relationship. We only see one side of the story and we don't see all of the picture. And so you have to engage in problem solving together to get the whole picture. And you have to be able to be, to sit back and kind of forget about the emotion for a while so you can hear the other side because it's very hard to hear it and, and listen, want to listen and want to understand when, you're, when you've just lost in that hurt. You just can't hear what the other person's saying because all you can think about is they're hurting me. And, you know, often the hurt and like the, you know, if you're having a squabble, if you're having a regular argument, it's just a side 
product of the actual problem. So the hurt is a side product. It's not actually the problem. It's not what your partner is trying to do. They're not trying to hurt you. They have certain they have certain values or expectations or personality traits or goals or a vision, and it's and it's and it's clashing in some way. The other thing to to really understand about is forgiveness, and so. We are very good at holding unforgiveness sometimes to people because they've hurt us and then, you know, we're up one. We owe, we, we are owed one. They owe us one, right? Because they've hurt us and now we're above them, they're below and we have to bring it up and, you know, an even keel so we can hurt them back. We've got one up on them and we're allowed to hurt them to bring it, to make it even, right? So that's really dangerous and, the re you know, one of the reasons is because, as I said before, we think that they've hurt us but actually, they're just going along in their life doing their expectations, values, personality, goals, or vision. They're not going around going, how can I hurt my partner? And so they haven't even got any idea. In a lot of cases, our spouse does have, doesn't have any idea that they've hurt us. So if we come along one day and go, right, you've hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, then suddenly that's, that's hurting on purpose. <laughs> and, and for them, you've started it. And, and when you're hurting someone on purpose, what message does it give them? You know... It's the same as a message you felt about feeling hurt from them. Oh, well, maybe they don't love me, love me anymore. Maybe they don't like me. Maybe, you know, they they want to be with someone else if they're going to hurt me like that. So that's the message they're getting. It's not actually the truth. Okay, and so we want to avoid that. And one tool to help us with that is forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. Because you're, for one, often they don't even know they've hurt us. And so... Um, they, they're not actually affected by our <laughs> unforgiveness in some cases um, unless we blatantly hurt them back and if we're doing that then we're, we're not only killing we're not only destroying our relationship destroying them, we're destroying our relationship, right? So forgiveness is really, really important and it is a tool that is hard to get good at but when you get good at it, you just do it and it's just a, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll forgive you and we get past that because it's more important of what happens next. That's the more important thing. So forgiveness is um, kind of, I look at it as a two-step rule. The first step is, can I, can I just forgive and get past this? And that's step one. And if so, just, just forgive them. Just go, I'm just going to forgive that. I'm just going to let it go now because then I won't be bothered by it and they're not going to be bothered by it and we can move on. If it's you know if it's a small thing, and you can you can not worry about it. An example of of something like that is uh, in our relationship. Often, or maybe maybe more often earlier on, Josh would always kind of not always, but Josh would relatively frequently leave the drawers open, or he'd leave cupboards open, and just he would get something out and then just leave it open and walk away. And so I would kind of walk into the room and just about bash into the drawers that were open or, you know, walk my head into an open cupboard in the kitchen above my head and things like that. But I just decided with that particular thing, like, it's not a big deal and I'm not going not gonna to worry about it. I'll just close the drawer. So that's something I've decided to forgive Josh for over and over and over again and I'm not bothered by it. I don't care. But there are other things in our relationship, and this is the second step, where I think, okay, this bothers me every single time, and I'm not going to be able to live with this. I have to talk to him about it. And so an example of that, and this is just a little one again, but an example of that was uh, we have um, a system in our kitchen where we have a cloth, right, that you use for wiping things down. And 
what I would find is that sometimes the cloth would be in the sink when I went to use it, you know, and it would be all wet and cold and squishy and slimy and stuff because it was just sitting in wetness in the sink. And what I like to do is I like to put it outside of the sink to kind of get some air in between uses. And so that was something that I went, okay, I, I, every time I get this cloth out of the sink and it's all grime enough to squeeze it through my fingers, it's just gross, I can't do this. So I went about the process of talking to Josh about it because that one was one that I had to solve. And so, as I said, so forgiveness is, think about if you can just move past it and if you can't, then you need to engage in problem solving. Don't just let it fester and let it give you fuel for, you know, you've got another point that you can then hurt them back with, okay? It's a problem to be solved, or you choose to forgive them. So that's the forgiveness tool. And the third one's just a short one to understand, and that is that when you've got a really good definition from the problem, for the problem, then you've half solved it. So a, the saying goes, a problem well defined is a problem half solved, and it's true. Because when you figure out what's actually going on, you just get this, ah, this this like aha moment where you go, right, well, now that I understand what, what the problem is, it's really no big deal. And the, the solutions just flow out from there, like the ideas for how we're going to resolve this one. And so, you know, you can get some really complex problems. And, and Josh and I went through one complex problem that was so complex that it took us three days of concentrated effort to try and solve. Now, I'm not suggesting that every problem is going to be like that. But it can get hectic, and this was a, quite a life-changing one. This was about him wanting to move to a different city because then he was going to be more likely to get a promotion. And for me, if we moved to a different city, then my goals were going to be compromised. And so, but, but we didn't know that. We just knew I didn't want to move and he wanted to move. And so we set about this, this problem-solving exercise, and as I said, it took about three days, and it was actually really hard to do for us when you don't know what the actual problem is, you just know that you you feel like you can't solve it's not solvable. Something like that is, he wants to move, I don't, how is that ever going to be solvable? But but we actually did. But in and the key thing was that we worked out what the problem actually was. And the problem was that he wanted a promotion because he wanted to have some more money because he wanted to start our next goal which was building a house because our other goal which was having children was just not happening and for years and for years and for years we tried and we tried and we couldn't have children he wanted to move on with another goal that you know so we just didn't feel like we were just in this groundhog day of of never achieving that goal we were trying to get to and when we figured that out and I figured out that my my problem with moving cities was that our goal of having children was going to be compromised because we were at the point of having to go into fertility treatment and so we'd just been referred we're about to start and then if we moved cities I'd get put back and I'd have to start the process again and so for me you know when we understood that we were like oh right okay well we still both have that same first goal and if we move cities then that first goal is going to be compromised there's a way that we can build a house and stay in Auckland um, without Josh getting that promotion and that was me going back to work. I was working in a, in a business at the time and trying to get that off the ground and um, but uh, things were happening with it that were out of, out of my control and so it was time to go back to work and if I got a job then we could apply for a bank loan and we could build a house and so that took three days but it was you know it was the nature of once we actually defined what the problem was and why we were feeling so hurt and upset and kind of like hey, we're never going to solve this uh, you know it was just easy it was just easy to figure out the rest another really important thing to 
to really set in place before you engage in problem solving is to set up some war rules. So as I said, it can get it can get quite heated sometimes when you're talking about these things. And and setting up some war rules can actually help with keeping that objectivity. So it's things like, right, what are the things that are okay or, or are going to help us when we're going through this exercise? And what are the things that are going to hinder us or make it worse? And so some things that Josh and I have set up for ourselves is that we don't roll our eyes at each other when we're trying to do this exercise or even ever. And so we don't roll our eyes. And one, one of our rules is that we never say never. So we can't say always or never. And so we often slip up, <laughs> but we, we try. And so that's like, as if you said to someone, you always do this, then what are they going to do? They're going to think of the one time when they didn't do that. And they're going to argue about, no, it's not always because sometimes I do this. When that's not really what you're trying to discuss. What you're trying to discuss is the problem you're trying to solve, right? And so it just, it just makes it, it just distracts from the problem solving. And creates a new argument. And so always and never is um is quite a so we don't use always and never, especially in problem solving. And if we do use it accidentally, the other one always pulls us up and says, Oi, you said always and I go, Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. And so if you set it up beforehand, then you've both agreed on it beforehand, and then you can it you then you can you know, bring you can bring it to the other person's attention if they do it. You're allowed to because you're giving each other permission beforehand. And some helpers to the conversation are things like giving hugs. And so we learned this one pretty early on when we were having an argument about something that I think it was it was pretty clear that, you know, in, in my view, that Josh had done something wrong and that I wasn't the one in the wrong. <laughs> and we were kind of having this argument. It was getting a bit heated. And he just came up to me and he gave me a big hug. And we were only married, I don't know, maybe two years or three years at that point. And, and I was like, hey, you can't just come up and give me a hug and expect me to just concede and go, oh, all right then. You know, like, you're the one that's wrong here. This is all going on in my head, right, when he's giving me a hug. And then I'm, I'm just so thankful this thought occurred to me. Like, if I push him away now and the next time he tries to give me a hug when we're having an argument, I push him away, then he might not try and hug me anymore. And I quite like... I quite like the fact that he's come up and given me a hug. And so what I did is I just, you know, I just melted into the hug. We just both forgot our tension for a bit and just had a hug. And what it did is it just, it just gave us some time to reduce the tension right back down and bring back that objectivity. Then we could just talk about it again without that heat and without that emotion. And so that was one for us. That's, a, that's an argument helper. So if we're having an argument and one or the other of us gives a hug, then we've agreed beforehand from that experience. We talked about it afterwards. We agreed beforehand now that the other one just has to <laughs> stop and relax and we'll have a hug. And so you'll want to do that for yourselves and come up with your own war rules. And, you know, there are, it could be whatever it is for you guys. You'll have your own personal things that you know happen when you're, when you're having arguments and brawls and things like that. <laughs> so that's a really important one. Now the last one that we need to just have a bit more of an understanding about before we start a problem-solving process is communication. And everybody will tell you that having a good relationship is all about communication. And I don't know about you, but when I was a child... If I would, you know, if I would feel emotional about something and I'd lash out with, you know, maybe I'd start crying or if I'd start kicking or hitting or biting my siblings or something like that, my, my parents would say, hey, that's not okay, you need to use your words, right? <laughs> 
And I think that still applies when we're an adult. When we get emotional and upset, then we try and kick out or lash out or uh, or start crying or something like that. And this is just coming back to, you know, you need to use your words. And so communication is not just about words, though. It's You've got to remember that... 80% of communication is non-verbal, okay? So that's, you know, I talked about eye-rolling earlier. And, you know, there's a lot of communication when you're upset that your body language just shows. And so it sometimes can be uncontrollable. And so what you can do is, like, and, and I've done this in the past too, I've, I've said to Josh, look, I know I'm, I'm really agitated at the moment about this. This is really upsetting me and I can, I know that I'm, you know, I'm, I might be pointing at you or I might be doing this or I might... Um, I might look like I'm upset with you. It's just that I'm I'm upset with the situation. I'm not upset with you. And I'll try and explain my body language so that he can understand that I'm trying to work on the problem with him. I'm trying, you know, my best to not get emotional. And so communication is so important, but it's so overdone. So many people talk about, oh, you have to do communication. But really, it's it's really about how do I do the communication I need to do to do problem solving. And so we'll go... We'll go more into that. You know, what are the words to say? What words do I use? We'll go into that in the next session. But for now, I just, I guess I really just want you to understand that communication is 80% non-verbal. So we've got to use our words, but we've also got to be aware of what our body language is saying at the same time. So, hey, I hope that's helped. I really appreciate you for listening. And if there's anything else that I can do to, to help in this area of problem solving, please just give me some feedback. Please let me know what you want to know. I'll be happy to, to add and to go into this in more detail. So next week, I'm going to go into the second half of it. And then I've got a special plan for the podcast after that where I'm hoping to do an interview with somebody about how they overcame a really, really, really dark time in their relationship where they were about to split up and they got past it. And now they've got a really, really close and awesome relationship. So I'm hoping that'll work out. Um, I don't want to talk too much about it in case... Uh, it doesn't happen in the last minute, but that's I'm really excited about that. And so I really hope that's helped. I hope you're having an awesome week. And please let me know if there's any other way I can help you. Please leave some comments under the under the podcast link or send me an email. Come go to the website. There's a contact page on there, nomythmarriages.com. And I'll catch up with you next week. Kaki te.